dropping on my face. It's a man, it's a man, watch that. It's a man, it's a man, watch that. It's a man, it's a man, watch that. Welcome to the Matt Watch That Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Sarosky, filmmaker, film fan. Each episode, I'm going to review a movie or TV pilot that I probably should have seen but never got around to. It could be a recent favorite, critic's choice, or cult classic. Everyone can join in on the fun. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed or suggestions as to what I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. As a reminder, the podcast will be off next week, so use the time to spread the word and catch up on past episodes. We'll be back on Monday, June 7th. Before we start, I wanted to congratulate all the inductees to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Class of 2021. They were announced this week, and it's certainly a solid class. I'm so excited the Go-Go's are finally getting the recognition they rightfully deserve. They should have been in their first year of eligibility. Their debut album, Beauty and the Beat, topped the Billboard charts in 1982. It was the first time an all-female band who wrote their own music and played instruments achieved that accomplishment. If you're the first to do something and break new ground, opening the door for other female artists, you should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They're one of the tightest bands I've ever heard, seen them a couple times live, watched clips of appearances on talk shows. Outside of Rock in Rio, where they were on the verge of a breakup and they sounded a bit rough, I've honestly never heard a bad performance. They're solid musicians, great vocal harmonies, and all five were songwriters that contributed to each album. And while we're on the subject of honors, Jane Weedland should receive a special Academy Award for her appearance in Clue. If I'd known the Hall of Fame announcements were this week, I would have saved my Tina Turner clip for this episode. She was previously inducted in 1991 as a duo with Ike Turner, but merits being recognized as a solo artist just for the album Private Dancer Alone, which produced seven hit singles. And I have to say, one of my favorites is Better Be Good To Me, which gets overlooked because Private Dancer and What's Love Got To Do With It were monstrous hits, but it's probably one of her catchiest. And if you haven't seen her documentary on HBO, it's worth the watch. Now, I will admit, I came to the Jay-Z party real late. I did have a bit of a snobby attitude when it came to rap music after the early 90s. I felt spoiled, and in my mind, nothing could live up to that time period. I'd heard a few songs, but the one that resonated was Hard Knock Life, Ghetto Anthem. Nothing says ghetto like sampling Annie. I'm a fan of that movie, and I watched it a ton as a kid, but that could be one of the most annoying songs. That's the Baby Shark of Broadway. For that reason alone, it took me a while to warm up to him, but the Black Album is incredible from beginning to end. I normally get sick of songs that are released as singles. They get overplayed. But whenever 99 Problems comes on the radio or up on my playlist, that is one you have to blast. And when people say rap artists shouldn't be included in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, that's the song I point to and go, no, that's a rock song. That's got the attitude. That's more rock and roll than the majority of bands out today. Except for the Foo Fighters. The first incarnation of that band included two members of Sunny Day Real Estate, Nate Mandel on bass and William Goldsmith on drums, which was a group I was obsessed with. Diary is a hugely influential album and nothing I'd ever heard before. They had broken up a few months prior to joining the Foos, and I instantly became a fan. They are the essence of rock and roll, and one of the only bands continuing to be the flag bearers of the genre. 
The Foo Fighters were the last concert I saw before the pandemic. They were awesome. Played for three hours, such great energy, hit after hit after hit. It shows that drummers are true musicians, not just bashers behind the kit. And if anyone tries to dismiss them, just mention the names Phil Collins, Karen Carpenter, Don Henley, Gina Schock, Roger Taylor, and Dave Grohl. Then there's Todd Rundgren. As an artist, he was probably best known for the singles Bang on the Drum All Day and I Saw the Light, but he was most influential as a revolutionary producer. He worked with such artists as Meatloaf, Grand Funk Railroad, Badfinger, The Psychedelic Furs, Ecstasy, Patti Smith, and Cheap Trick. The last performer in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Class of 2021, is featured in the series I'm reviewing in this episode. On to the main attraction. Each review will end with a ranking out of five stars. One star is Skip It, two stars Watch at Your Own Risk, three stars Standard Fair, four stars Worth Checking Out, and five stars Must See. Now if I give a title five stars, it doesn't mean I'm comparing it to Casablanca or Jaws or Seinfeld. I rank titles based on other movies or TV series in that genre and at that time period. So let's jump into it. I'll keep the spoilers to a minimum, tangents to a maximum, these are my ruminations and observations of the pilot episode for The Gilmore Girls from 2000, about how the bond between mother and daughter are tested through outside influences including family members and relationships. That's mostly the gist. It was created by Amy Sherman Palladino, known for bunheads in the critically acclaimed and award-winning The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. The two episodes I watched were both written by her as well. The first episode was directed by Leslie Linka Gladder, who had worked on Homeland, Mad Men, ER, The West Wing, and a bunch of TV shows. Her feature directorial debut was the cult classic, Now and Then. The second episode was directed by Arlene Sanford, another television vet with credits including Desperate Housewives, Allie McBeal, Pretty Little Liars, among others. The episode starts off with the introduction of Lorelai. She is the executive manager at Independence Inn in Stars Hollow, Connecticut. She was first employed as a maid and worked her way up through the ranks. She's currently taking a business class in the hopes of opening an inn with her best friend. She got pregnant at 16 by her high school boyfriend, way before MTV made it popular. She had a daughter named Lorelai, but is called Rory for short. She's a reserved and insulated girl, except with her mom. They have a casual relationship. They talk openly about sex, make inappropriate jokes together. Very ahead of its time, because all parents I know are exactly like that. The mother is played by Lauren Graham. She was in a few short-lived series before her breakthrough as Lorelai. I saw her in the 2009 Broadway revival of Guys and Dolls as Adelaide, alongside Oliver Platt as Nathan Detroit and Titus Burgess as Nicely Nicely Johnson. A year later, she would star in the series Parenthood, which was never a ratings hit, but one of my favorite shows in the early part of this decade. Her daughter is portrayed by Alexis Bledel. Her filmography includes Tuck Everlasting, Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, and Sin City. She was the winner of a Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Guest Actress in a Drama Series for The Handmaid's Tale. So, Rory gets accepted into Chilton, a prestigious private school that costs a lot of money. The enrollment fee and first semester tuition need to be paid immediately, or Rory would lose her spot. Lorelai calls the front office and asks if there's any way to pay in installments. When that offer is rejected, against her better judgment, she visits her parents, whom she has a fractured relationship with. The parents are played by Kelly Bishop, who is in Solar Babies, Dirty Dancing, and Six Degrees of Separation, and Edward Herman, not the first time he's appeared on this podcast. He was in The Lost Boys, which was reviewed in Episode 8. 
they're surprised to see Lorelai because it's not a holiday. The mother has a hoity-toity rich person accent dripping with white privilege. They have traditional values. When she got pregnant at 16, they wanted Lorelai to marry her baby daddy and would have set them up with job security, but that would mean they have control over her. There's awkward conversation before Lorelai explains the situation. Their eyes light up at the mention of Chilton. Lorelai asks for a loan, and the mother mentions that they'll oblige on one condition. She wants to be actively involved in their lives, which includes dinner. Once a week, on Fridays. Lorelai reluctantly agrees. This is the premise that sets up the events in the series. Within the pilot episode, we're introduced to Sookie. She's played by Melissa McCarthy, who found fame in her own television series, Mike and Molly. The love interest of Rory is named Dean. He's the new kid at school, just moved from Chicago and looking for a job in town. He's portrayed by Jared Padalecki, which is slightly confusing for Supernatural fans because he plays Sam in that series, opposite his brother Dean. He was also in the remakes of Flight of the Phoenix, House of Wax, and Friday the 13th. Word of advice, no more remakes, Jared. The diner which Lorelai and Rory frequent is owned by Luke Danes, played by Scott Patterson. He's a bit of a curmudgeon and health nut. He doesn't have much of an impact in either episode. Lastly, Alex Borstein makes an appearance as a harpist. A harper? What do you call a person who plays a harp? Alphonse! Alphonse! Look that up for me. I thought the pilot episode was pretty strong. They established each character and their relationship. You immediately get a sense of how they connect or not. Even though characters like Luke and Dean are briefly introduced, the audience knows they're going to be a major part of the series. All the plot exposition you need to know is in this episode. They did a great job. It's a pretty breezy show. I looked at the scrubber and 20 minutes went by like that. If you didn't hear it, I just snapped. The dialogue was fast-paced and there were quick one-liners. Where's your pate? At Zsa, Zsa Gabor's house. Neat lines like that. The acting is really good, though Dean's Chicago accent is a bit questionable. The one thing that truly annoyed me were the credits. That font reminded me of the Lost logo. Is it blurry? Are my eyes playing tricks on me? Is it supposed to be like that? I'd love to know why that was signed off on. The opening theme is a re-recorded version of Where You Lead by Carol King and her daughter, Louise Goffin, which feels very appropriate for the series. The singer-songwriter finally joins the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as part of the 2021 class. I'll be honest, Carole King falls under the same umbrella as Bob Dylan. I love their songs, sung by other people. <laughs> now, I know that sounds like a backhanded compliment, but I do prefer her version of Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow over the Shirelles. I like the slower pace. And Tapestry, you have to admit, that's a banger. The score was composed by Sam Phillips, who is a frequent collaborator of Amy Sherman Palladino's shows. A fact from Matt, she was married to T-Bone Burnett, record producer and musician. The soundtrack features mainstream artists of the time, as well as female-centric singers and bands like Shania Twain, Macy Gray, and The Bangles. The runtime is 39 to 45 minutes per episode. It won a Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Makeup and was nominated for Golden Globes, Screen Actors Guild Awards, among other honors. Ultimately, the pilot comes down to No Vacancy, Moo Moo, Fire Hazard, Bank Job, Quid Pro Quo, Moby Dick, and Mom Card. I give it four out of five stars. It definitely captured enough of my interest to want to continue watching, and I think I will. Gilmore Girls was on for seven seasons, 154 episodes from 2000 to 2007. There was a miniseries with four episodes which premiered on Netflix in 2016. 
If you've seen Gilmore Girls and have opinions on the series, let me know what you think using the hashtag MattWatchThat. Moving right along, each episode I'm going to post clips that I think people should watch. It could be movie trailers, music videos, interviews, or something completely random. Search for my YouTube page and there will be a playlist called Matt Watch That Playback. Comedy comes in all forms, but when someone combines music and comedy, two of my favorite things, and does it while respecting both mediums, it's gold, Jerry, gold. One of my top five favorite concerts, and I say this with the straightest of faces, was Weird Al Yankovic. Yes, Weird Al. He puts on a great show. My brothers and I saw him at Westbury Music Fair on Long Island, and from beginning to end was one of the most enjoyable experiences. There were sketches and videos dispersed throughout the set list that were really fun. The crowd was enthusiastic as well. Everyone was there to have a good time. During the song Fat, Weird Al was in costume from the music video, and every time he jumped, the band members would jump up as he landed. Yes, it's completely politically incorrect and insensitive now, but we gotta be able to laugh at ourselves. Speaking of, I wanted to talk about Victor Borga, the Clown Prince of Denmark. He's a musician and comedian who takes the best of both worlds to create an engaging and entertaining show. I had the good fortune of seeing him live, also at the Westbury Music Fair on Long Island, and even in his 80s, he was still sharp and captivating. I would describe his comedic stylings as slapstick, play on words, and dry wit. His act was family-friendly, so you would see different generations of people in his audience. His 75-year career included appearances on The Muppet Show, The Electric Company, Sesame Street, and The Ed Sullivan Show. He continued to work multiple dates a year through his 90s. Not the 90s, in his 90s. Some of his most famous bits were phonetic punctuation, where he gives a sound effect to punctuation and reads a passage with those inserted. Another was inflationary language. Any number or homophone is increased. For example, before becomes be five. Intention becomes in elevention. The last is taking a piece of sheet music and playing it for a few measures before turning it right side up and hearing the familiar tune, like Camp Town Races. Every few months, PBS will air a special where they show his performances over the years and sell a DVD set called the Schmorgisborga. I love play on words. It's totally worth the money. In New York City, there's a restaurant called the Scandinavian House, which has a screening room in the basement. One of the chairs is red and has a plaque dedicated to him. He's a feel-good comedian. Don't watch it with a chip on your shoulder. He's just there for a laugh. I'll select a few of his bits and make them available on the Matt Watch That Playback playlist on YouTube. Check it out. Now it's time for the recommendation. Yes, that's the word recommendation with Matt in the middle. I'm going to end each podcast with my own recommendation of a movie or TV series. Today I'm talking about Outnumbered. The series revolves around the daily routine of the Brockman family. The father, Pete, is a history teacher. Mother Sue is a part-time assistant to an overbearing boss. They have three children, Jake, a sarcastic teenager who deals with bullies and girls, Ben, who enjoys asking hypothetical questions in between lying about everything, and Karen, an impressionable child who is too logical for her own good. The parents are portrayed by Hugh Dennis, who stars in Mock the Week, Not Going Out, and made appearances on comedy panel shows QI, Would I Lie to You, and Have I Got News for You, and Claire Skinner, who is a theater, radio, and television actress. Jake is played by Tiger Drew Honey. 
He has an interesting story. His parents were porn stars, and he's made documentaries addressing those subjects and how it affected his upbringing. He was also in another British sitcom, Cuckoo, which starred Adam Sandberg, Taylor Lautner, and Andy McDowell. The children are rounded out by Daniel Roche as Ben and Ramona Marquez as Karen. Characters that appear regularly are Grandad, portrayed by David Ryle, a veteran actor of British television, and Sue's sister, Angela, played by Samantha Bond, who is in Downton Abbey and four James Bond films as Miss Moneypenny. The series feels like a documentary because it captures intimate moments like the youngest daughter playing with her dolls and making up stories about them. That's the stuff that might end up on the cutting room floor, but they smartly put in. The father and mother have scripted lines, but the creators allow the children to ask questions within the context of the scene, and the parents have to react to it. It often leads to very natural and funny moments. It's not for everyone, especially if you need a sitcom to have a setup and punchline every 30 seconds. The pilot episode is all about getting the kids ready for school and the mishaps that occur. That's it. It's not a laugh riot, but it's a charming and entertaining show. One episode involved the father and eldest son playing Sabutio, which is a table football, aka soccer game, I played with my brothers that none of my friends heard of, and I'll be honest, I've never seen another American play. In fact, I just learned that Sabutio is the proper pronunciation, whereas my brothers and I have been calling it Subuteo for decades. If you've ever played it, let me know on social media using the hashtags MattWatchThat and Sabutio. It'd be interesting to see how many of you are out there. The series was written, directed, and produced by the team of Andy Hamilton and Guy Jenkin. They did a film called What We Did on Our Holiday, which stars David Tennant and Rosamund Pike, which could have been a spiritual sequel to the series. Outnumbered was on BBC One for five seasons, 35 episodes, and a couple of specials from 2007 to 2014. There were gaps between some of the seasons, which is why that math doesn't work out. It's a fun show. I enjoy it. It's worth the watch. That's all for this edition of Matt Watch That. Thanks for listening to me babble. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed or suggestions as to what movie or TV pilot I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. I do plan on having an interactive element, but I need those listeners. So follow, subscribe, like, and spread the word. Until next time, okay, carry on. If you've seen Gilmore Girls and have opinions on the movie, it's not a movie. Another television vet with credits including Desperate Housewives, Amy McBeal. Amy McBeal, her her less popular sister. The last is taking a sheet of peace music. What? (laughs) A sheet of peace music.